I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and happy Thursday, everyone. I hope you have had a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. Uh, I'm back today with another of our summer re-releases. Attention in the thoroughbred industry very quickly shifts to the yearling sales. Inspections are already underway up on the Gold Coast for the Magic Millions Gold Coast yearling sale, the first yearling sale on the calendar for the year. And the selling starts next Tuesday at 11am local time or 12pm for those of us in New South Wales and Victoria. So now seems like the perfect time to brush up on our bloodstock knowledge and we have the perfect episode for that in the bank. Uh, with our very special guest, Catherine Brueggemann, who works alongside her partner, Paul Maroney, in traveling the world, going to all of the yearly sales, broodmare sales, and selecting bloodstock from these sales. So Grace and I sat down and chatted to Catherine a few months ago now, but it seems like the perfect episode to re-release this week ahead of the Magic Millions Gold Coast sale. Hope you enjoy this one. Hope you learn a lot. Um... And of course, if you want to support the show, make sure you are following or subscribed to our channel, either on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and leave us a review while you're there. Enjoy the episode, and we'll be back again next week. This episode of Ladies Who Punt is brought to you by Inglis. Inglis has had over a century of turf champions go through their sales rings, and now with their pink bonus series, there has never been a better time for women to join in on the fun of racehorse ownership. That's right, Grace. With the bonus prize money up for grabs, the pink bonus series is a great initiative to get more women involved in racing, making Inglis a fabulous partner to ladies who punt. We can't thank them enough for supporting our podcast and the representation of women in the racing media. Field is ready. They're racing in the Oaks. Hello everyone and welcome back to Ladies Who Punt. We are the podcast that aims to decode the sport of horse racing one topic at a time. I'm Fiona Blair and with me today is Grace Ramage. Hello Grace. Hello Fee and hello everybody listening in to another big episode of Ladies Who Punt. Gee, how good was the racing last Saturday? Of course, last week's episode was a full form preview and we all hope that you went and found plenty of winners based on your own form analysis. But I tell you what Fee, I'm going to give ourselves a pat on the back here because we did speak about the winner of the Golden Slipper uh, in Shinzo at length in last week's episode. I mean, I didn't have any financial investment on Shinzo, but we both <laughs> said that we could see him winning, and that's exactly what he did. A huge performance for that Snitzel Colts to win the Golden Slipper. Yeah, he certainly took the improvement that we were hoping he would take in order to win, in order to be able to win. And yeah, again, from barrier number one, which we also spoke about mm. as the best barrier, I think he had all the ticks except 
his price, which was over $10, if I'm correct, when he jumped. Yeah. And so that was the only thing from the fun facts that didn't line up. But the barrier, the lead up, um, all of these things were all ticks for him. And it was great to see him take the professional improvement on the seven-day backup and charge across the line. But it was a bit of a dramatic race, wasn't it, with learning to fly, coming home without a rider and... Yeah, a bit of drama on course on Saturday. And learning to fly, of course, was one of the favourites for the race. She's totally fine, but the rider was dislodged. The other thing, um, Fee, was I did my multi for Golden Slipper Day. I had the three legs going for me. One of them um, was Moanga to place, and I think he finished second, but the other two both finished fourth, and I didn't needed them to finish third. So oh, that was dear. a big fail whale. <laughs> well, you can't have it all the time. In fact, you don't have it most of the time. That's the, no. that's the game. <laughs> that's it. We're wrong more than we're right. <laughs> Correct. And that's why it's so fun. I don't know why. We're just like that's why suckers we keep for chasing punishment. The dream. Yes, we are. <laughs> Well, we have such an exciting episode today, Grace, back to our yearling sales series. Do you want to tell us a bit about who we're interviewing today? So, of course, everybody would have listened into um, our episode with special guest Gemma Cutting about the sale season and what is a yearling sale. And, you know, I think we all learned a lot from that. But today we're going to talk about bloodstock agents and decoding and getting to the bottom of what they actually do. Because we spoke with Gemma that um, the buyers and the vendors are integral parties at any sale. But the buyers can be horse trainers, you know, buying stock for their own stable to train in the future. But the buyers can also be bloodstock agents who are essentially working on behalf of clients, sourcing those horses directly for the owner. It is such an interesting world, the world of a bloodstock agent, because there is a lot of airplanes, there's a lot of hotel rooms, there's a lot of traveling, so much knowledge. And to help us get to the bottom of what this role is, we're so lucky to have a very special expert guest in Catherine Brueggemann on the podcast. Yeah, I'm so excited to be able to ask her about what it is she looks for at a sale. Like these bloodstock agents, their job is to look at horse after horse after horse at sale after sale after sale and try and pick these future champs. And they're so well-trained, like... What Catherine sees in a two-minute parade of a horse, like, I wouldn't see if the horse paraded 10 times in front of me, you know? Like, their skills are so honed and they can pick up on things so quickly in these horses that I can't wait to pick her brain to to understand her process and how she does it. So with that in mind, Grace, we won't leave it any longer. Let's get into our interview with Catherine Brueggemann. Well, it is our absolute pleasure. We are really quite honoured to have a very special guest on the show today, and it is Catherine Brueggemann, who is a fantastic representation of females within the bloodstock industry and just the the wider industry in, in general, I would say. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us to be our expert on the topic of bloodstock agents. Firstly, we want to understand how you came to be in the exact position you are now. Tell us a little bit about your background. You know, I suppose I, I became heavily involved in, in the industry, you know, from, from teenage years and have been 
working in various aspects professionally for about 20 or 25 years. So um, as far as bloodstock, I think if the foundation for that really started with, you know, I'm quite analytical and I, I like to know how things work, why things work, why they don't work and have that understanding and pull things apart. And, and that's just, I've always had an inquisitive nature. And when I was probably 15, 16, there was, there's a, a group in America called 4-H, which is a little bit similar to Pony Club. And there were actually horse judging competitions. So we, we studied and trained to judge horses competitively. So you would assess a group of horses and literally place them first, second, third, fourth, and then give reasons as to why you place them that way. So you had to sort of give a speech to the judge and justify, you know, why this one was, was a, 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 had a better movement or structure or confirmation. So, you know, I really, like we watch videos in slow motion, like we were serious, you know, <laughs> from, from a young age. And that was really where I suppose it all began as far as that analyzing an animal, you know, analyzing what's better or, or not as good and, and structure and movement and all of that. And then, you know, I came to Australia a little bit over 20 years ago um, and became involved in racing um, through then Sheikh Khalifa's racing manager. So my first time ever at the races was at Sheikh Khalifa's um, private box at Rose Hill. So that was quite the introduction <laughs> to the industry. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you go from there, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and then, um, you know, I rode work and, and I worked for a, a few different trainers and, and then eventually worked for a business who built um, high-speed treadmills and, and water treadmills and, and exercise and rehab equipment. And flowing on from that, I, I ended up starting my own rehab business with a very, very strong podiatry focus. So again, it goes back to that what works, what doesn't work, why, assessing structure, assessing physiology. So you look at, you know, you look at what holds up and what doesn't, you look at what performs and what doesn't. And I think that's a really good foundation you know it's similar like you know when you're looking at a horse it's similar to a, a like a physio assessing a person you know or an athlete you know what can we improve here what's working you know why are you stuck there why are you hurting there um so that kind of analytical mindset that the brain doesn't stop probably is <laughs> a lot to do with it yeah so how long ago did you sit out on your job now where you go around all over the world looking at horses at different sales how long have you been doing this role for? So as I said, I had the rehab business here in Oz that, that had that strong podiatry focus. And then about, it'd be about 10 years ago, I met Paul Maroney and he's, he's very well established, you know, as, as far as international bloodstock work. And he asked me to go up to Europe with him. And I, I went up and we worked B-Bag, Baden-Baden sale in Germany together. And then I think the next sale from memory was, was Tattersall's October yearlings. And we made it through book one and two and then we were we were getting behind and and he gave me about 80 colts to look at in book three and basically you know i came back with my short list of of, of what i'd found and and told him look you know there's a handful of horses but you know really there's there's three that i think are quite nice but really there's only one and and he goes okay show me the one um and got it out and he just shook his head and i thought uh oh what have i done wrong you know what have i missed <laughs> and and, um, and 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 basically because all oh, they leave it to you to find the best horse we've seen so far you know and we ended up buying the colt um so first horse i selected on on my own bottom for clients for about sixty thousand aussie and he was sold about a year and a bit year and a half later for 1.6 million so um wow. yeah so wow. so 
<laughs> and then after that, he was like, okay, you're good. Off you go. <laughs> so, yeah, so that was about 10 years ago. And, and you know, like I've done a lot of work in both hemispheres. Basically, you know, for, for six, six and a half years, I was essentially homeless, you know, living in hotels and Airbnbs and, and on the road, you know, a lot of, a lot of airports and um, doing both hemispheres yearlings with look look it up to over 16,000 yearlings a year. Wow. It's a lot. Um, it's a lot. So, you know, that we did it for about, uh, you know, I was on the road for about six and a half years. And now I still do go north and do northern hemisphere work as well. Um, but I'm not doing every, every, every sale like, you know, like I, like I was. But it's been, it's been a 10 year, you know, um, 10 years in, in, you know, being pretty full on in, in the industry internationally. Thanks, Catherine, for that explanation on your background into the bloodstock industry. But can you just give us a better idea of what is the role of a bloodstock agent? Like what services do you provide within the industry? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So that varies a little bit between between agents or, or, or you know, between businesses. Um, you know, some people, they, they do they do selection work. They, they do nominations as far as for stallions. Um, they do mating recommendations. They maybe manage horses. Um, for clients, myself, I, I really focus on on the selection process and sales work and, and private work. So, uh, you know, th- there there are many things. And, and if clients need support in other areas, you know, like I, I'm happy to support the best I can. But my my primary and main focus really is the selection of horses. And and how I explain that to people, it's it's basically like you're a talent scout for racehorses. You, you know, no, no different than a talent scout is for, for other, other athletes. You know, you, you may not, you know, if, if you're looking at, 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 at human athletes, you know, maybe you get to see them play where we don't necessarily get to see them race or run unless they're a tried horse that's already racing, you know, with yearlings. But, but you still are, you're, you're assessing, you know, movement, structure, raw ability, talent, and, and looking for that next elite athlete, that next champion. So, Yeah. So, Catherine, you focus on selection yes. more than managing people's, you know, portfolio yes. of horses or doing, uh, you know, pedigree analysis for mating. But even within the selection games, there's specialties, isn't there? Like there's those who select yearlings mm-hmm. like yourself, mm-hmm. potential racehorses, yep. but then there are those who select broodmares for people that are very interested in breeding as well. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. So, I mean, there within that selection umbrella, I suppose you'd say, you know, there, there are a few predominant areas. So you, you'll have weanling, so like horses that are that are weaned, that, that are, are, are younger younger horses um, that are at public auction often. Um, so you have a big group of horses that you can go to a public auction and assess and, and, and they're up for, for purchase. And, and oftentimes those weanlings are either – purchased to go on and 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 be carried through and 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 race eventually you know once they're of age but another big aspect of that especially in australia is is what's called pin hooking so it, it's it's the purchase of those weanlings to then resell as a, as a yearling so you know you're trying to, to to make a twist or a profit and see the potential you know in that weanling and say, look, I, I, I think this horse is going to really go on and, and be worth a lot of money, you know, in, in six months time and I can resell it um, and, and take it to market again. And then you have yearling sales where yearling sales, you still do have a, a bit of that pin hook 
ability and, and trading ability, you know, where some people will buy a yearling to then trade as a ready to run or breeze up horse that, that, that that's a the horse that, that's under saddle as a two-year-old. So there is still that aspect um, of clients who will want to buy for the purpose of reselling. And then you also have private owners that want to buy to race. You have syndicates who want to, to, to purchase and then sell shares down to, to you know, individuals that who, who want to be part of the game, but not own a whole horse. Um, and then you have private owners that, you know, that, that, that want to, to race as well as trainers who need to, to fill their stable with a variety of horses, whether it be two-year-old speed horses to milers to longer distance staying horses. They need, a, you know, a variety in their stable. From there, obviously, the, the, the next stage are, are, are racehorse, you know, so horses and training sales, you know, whereby you could even purchase a horse that, that may be, you know, like in France, that, that may run in the arc the next day or, you know, or something like that. So there are some, some tried, tried horses and training sales. Um, another big one um, is in, at, at Tattersall's, you know, at the end of October, that's, that's a big horses and training sale. Um, and then the next sort of phase of, of life for them, um, I suppose, would be, would be that, 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 brood mare. So it, it you know you can you can buy fillies off the track that can either race on or then go to the breeding barn or you can buy mares who um who are in full who are, who have had foals that you know maybe someone sees an opportunity you know to the, to to take that horse to market and 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 um there, there's always opportunity to, to, to you know, buy that bloodstock for breeding purposes. So there, there are many aspects, and, and, and all of those, you know, sort of exist within that um, that public auction realm. Um, you know, which is a really, you know, it's a great way because there's a, a large volume of horses is in one place with you know a group of professionals that are really, really good at what they do and great at presenting horses. And it makes my job, you know, a whole lot easier um, to, 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 you know, to really get through, you know, volume of horse and, and find what I really believe in for the client and what I think is going to be the best fit. Catherine, what do you think are the essential skills and traits uh, that are required to be a successful bloodstock agent? Resilience. No, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> look, I think, I think you have to have an eye for detail. Um, I think being analytical um you know, makes it makes a difference. You have to have the ability to concentrate. They're long days. You're on your feet. You know, and just a passion. You know, like I, I think that you know there there are a number of of aspects that 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 go into it, but really concentrating, using your eye. It's it's a balance of art and science. Mm-hmm. It really is. You know, um, you know you you have to analyze. You know what's what's working and why, and and, and then you also have to trust your instinct. You know, and and you know you're you're assessing structure and symmetry and balance and movement and you know and and all of that. And there are many many different ways to to go about it. You know, different people have different recipes. Um, and you know, and the other thing is, I think you you have to back your judgment and then and then follow up and and you know, I'll, I'll keep my notes and I'll refer back, you know, if, if something wins a group one, you're always checking yourself. You never stop learning, you know, never, ever stop learning. With the English Easter yearling sale uh, in just a few weeks, could you take us through the steps in your process for preparing for a sale like that? As in, what work do you do before you get there? 
And then what work do you do once you're on complex? Yeah, for me, it's pretty simple. Um, you know, I try, I try to have my own personal batteries as, as recharged as they possibly can be. That's probably, you know, like I don't always succeed at that, but that's probably first and foremost. And, and the reason I say it's easy for me is that I look at every horse. So, so between Paul Maroney and myself, you know, we, we, we look at every horse. And so I'm not working through the catalog pedigree wise to, to thin down, you know, and say, Oh, I only want, you know, to look at Colts or Phillies out of stakes performers, or I only want these pedigrees or I only want those tires. Like I'll look at every horse between us, you know, every single horse. So that, you know, that makes my prep work probably lighter. It makes the work on complex, more, more involved, Heavy. you know? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, some people they'll, they'll and I understand it, you know, they'll thin, they'll thin down the catalog, um, you know, and then they might have 120 to look at instead of, you know, 450 or more. And it's like, oh, that's a, and that will be because um, obviously the client is only particularly interested in, you know, a certain style of horse, like potentially um, buy a certain stallion. That's what you mean by that. Yes, that, that that's true. You know, it, 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 it does depend on clients. It, it depends. Like I also work across a, a, a wide group or a wide variety of clients. If, if, I, if I only had like a, a main client or two that had those really tight parameters, would that recipe be different? Maybe. I don't know. Like definitely with broodmare sales you're looking more, you know, all, all, it, that will get thinned down because you know what they've done on the track or haven't done. You know what they've produced or haven't produced. You know, you know what's what sort of makes sense or doesn't. But with yearlings, like I just, it, it's sort of like I have the, the approach of leave no stone unturned because you really, you don't know what's going to walk out of that stable until you see it. And, and just because a pedigree page, you know, has X, Y, Z, it can have the best page in the world, but if you don't like it on type or it doesn't move well, well, you know, that's sad and I'm sorry, but, you know, or you can have something that, that is by a sire that's a little bit unfashionable, but it's thrown to the damn sire and you go, wow, this is a, this is a cracker. This is a real athlete, you know? Um, and, and that's where it comes into having those clients that'll back your judgment. So what I'm hearing there is like, you know, for, for those who might not be familiar, there's two types of buying. You can buy off page or you can buy on type. And it sounds like you really go for the type very, rather than yeah, the page. Very, very much like both is ideal. You can't always afford it when when you have both. <laughs> it's how deep your pockets are. You know, I always say the page tells you, you know, if you're going to be able to afford it or not. Um, um, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's great to have a fantastic page and a great type as well, you know, but I don't want to miss an athlete that is a good type just because the page is a bit weak. You know, oftentimes those horses, like they're, they perform well and they're viable because they aren't as fashionable, but they, they get all going and get results. So, you know, that, that's where, you know, we've had a lot of, a lot of success at that, you know, in buying those horses for unders. Now, you know, I work on commission. It doesn't always help my cause as far as an income <laughs> point of view. But you know, you want to you want to buy you know you want to buy the best horses you can, and um, and that's you know, like I said, that's why you just go and do the work. Go and do the work and hunt them out and and see see what comes to the top. So once you've found a yearling that you like on type, and then you consult the page, the the, the catalog. 
Are there any specific things that you're looking for on a pedigree page? Um, some of it is, you know, some of it is like black type winners, you know, all of that. That's always great. You know, if they're, if they're good performers, you know, well-related siblings, you know, all of that's fantastic, you know, but some of it too, you know, and this is a little bit more complex, I suppose, but sometimes you're looking at the physical horse in front of you and you're going, what, what on this page matches with what I'm seeing? Mm. So, so, so you're looking back and you go, okay, well, you know, it, it's, it's, it's by a sprinting sire, but you know, it, it, it has more, more scope and movement and it looks more like a, a longer distance staying type. And then you look back and the dams, you know, their saddlers wells or, or, you know, one of those, those scopier staying types back on the dam side and you go, well, it's thrown there. So then you kind of have a picture in your mind, you're matching up what you're seeing on the pedigree page to what you're seeing physically. And, and, and you're kind of getting that recipe right in that balance of what's this horse going to be. You know, and then where does that fit in? And then obviously you're looking at um, budget, you know, that, that obviously comes into it of, you know, if this horse is very well related, very well bred and very well performed, then where is it going to, to fall from a, a price point of view? And, and does that match up, match up with my clients, you know, with, with their their budget or their expectations to be able to make your assessment and everything you've explained a big part of you being able to physically look at the horse and make all of these determinations Catherine is the parade so at a sales complex the horse will be brought out um, and paraded for you what can you explain about this process why does a bloodstock agent need the horse paraded for them Yep. So good question. So basically parading, it's, it's a really consistent, uniform way to assess horses. So, and, and, and there are absolute pros at it. And the leaders that, that work the sales circuit, there are a lot of freelance people or, or people who work with farms and, you know, we see the same group of people literally all over the world and they're, 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 excellent at what they do and it makes a really really big difference with my ability because with each horse like I'll get through depends on the sale but maybe around 140 horses in a day wow you know that I take individual notes on and so I have about two minutes a horse and, and I don't consciously go you have the clock ticking thinking tick 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 you know what well, two minutes is up next like it doesn't work that way but when you average it out that's about what it is so you know you're making pretty pretty quick judgment calls, but also looking to capture as much information as you possibly can in, in, in a very concise amount of time, right? So when they bring the horse up, they, out, they normally stand the left side up to me. So the horse is, is stood in a particular way so I can see all four legs, you know, in, in, a, in a uniform position on the left side. And I personally will go in all how I don't work head to tail as far as taking notes or, or looking at the horse, I write down what stands out. And if that's something good, then great. If that's something not so good, well, then that's, that's the way it is, you know. And, and, and I will take, take notes on what captures my eye about that animal, um, good, bad, and, and, and otherwise. So, uh, and I, I take very thorough notes because, again, I go back and I check myself. So if, if two years down the track a horse wins a group one, I want to know, yeah, I loved it, but, you know, I didn't have the budget for it. I didn't have a client or I was underbidder or, or what have you. Or, hey, I, I thought it was 
too back at the knee or too hockey or had this or that confirmation fault, but it's gone on and performed. So I, I want to be able to check myself. So I take very thorough notes. So basically, as I was saying, the horse comes out, it stands up at the left side. I, I see what I see and then write down that information. Then I ask the, the leader who, who has the horse in hand to please walk the horse and and I assess that horse walking side on, going past me both direction. Then I normally ask for another walk, um, and and then I watch that horse go directly towards me and away from me. So in that, I I get to see the movement side on. I get to see the movement coming directly toward me. I get to see the movement going directly away from me. And the reason all of that's important is you, you can have a horse stand up in front of you and, and you can see something you go oh it's it's a little bit upright or straight in front or back at the knee or has this or that confirmation but once you see it move if it uses its body with it and it doesn't jar you can forgive a lot more mm -hmm. you know you really can nothing's perfect you know so the motion and the walking and the movement to see how they are in motion is really important and then you're also looking at at limb deviations if they land heavy, if they jar, um, even even to the point like listening to them. You know, I always look at horses on the hard, you know, the rhythm, the timing, the balance. I mean, there are some horses, this may sound odd, but you can close your eyes and you just listen to the rhythm of their walk and it sounds great. You know, there, you know, and there, there are other animals that you go, oh, that's like, you know, what's going on there? You know, so it, 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 you know, in that two minutes, you're, you're capturing a lot of information and, and the, the, the staff that are on site are excellent at showing those animals and allowing us to be able to do that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, um, you know, like you say, you say being a bloodstock agent and requires, a, you know, to be, you to be quite analytical, but how much do you think is like your gut talking to you when you're making these assessments? Yeah, like I do think like as far as a, you know, a, a mechanics, like, you know, like I, I don't think, you know, you're, you're looking at, at structure and movement, but you're also, as I said, you can go, oh, this is straight in front, but it uses its shoulders and it doesn't jar. So I'm going to forgive that. So that's a little bit of a mixture of both of like instinct and, and, and you know, and also, you know, I don't think you can be too clinical. Because I think if you're too clinical and you go, oh, it has this fault, that's it, you're going to miss a lot of good horses, you know. So you do, you have, you definitely do have to have that instinct or that sense of, yeah, but it moves with it. It's okay, you know. And and also temperament, you know. Like you have horses that are might be away from home for the first time. You see how they are in a new environment, you know. Do they, you know, are they like, yeah, let's go, you know? And they're forward and they're positive, or are they like, yeah, no, I'm done, you know, <laughs> I'm tired, I want to go back to my box, um, you know. Um, so you do, you, you know, even temperament and their eye. It's amazing in two minutes what you can pick up about the nature you know, and the personality and the character of a horse, you know, it, it, it you know, and, and I, you know, I guess it's, people will say, oh, you know, don't they all look the same after a while, but not at all. Like, you know, the more you do, the more you see, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure if a pro tennis player went and hit a ball at me, it would occur to me to duck, you know, but, you know, like, I'm out, I'm out. you know, but, you know, if, you know, if a pro tennis player hits a ball at another pro tennis player, they're going to see how that ball's coming through the air, which way it's spinning, what it's going to do next, you know, because that's what their eyes train for. You know, and some of it is a feeling, you know, like, you, you know, I'll always give a horse a second chance. Like if, if, it, if it isn't, if it's a bit wound up or isn't showing right or like, I, even if I really like the structure, but it isn't quite moving, I go, 
you know what, I'm going to come back and see you again, because I'd rather come back and do that work and, and, and go, okay, no, no, no. Or well, actually, yes, you know, it's improved. I, I would rather do more work rather than miss something that, you know, that, that, that is, you know, is going to be a good horse. So Catherine, I really like the way that you describe it as the recipe. You've mentioned that a few times throughout the show, and I think that makes total sense. I know that obviously it's, um, you know, all the secrets are up in your head and your eye and everything that you've learned over doing this for a decade. But are there any things that you can tell us specifically about what you like in a yearling? Like what's the yes? And some of the things that you might personally steer away from, like, you know, what are those things that are a little bit like, no, I can't forgive that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I will say that if I go back, if I go back to my notes of a horse that's won, you know, say a group race, right? There might be this or that that I didn't like, but almost always on the page somewhere, I will have written good girth, good forearm. Right. Yep. So I think that that is very much a mark of a good horse and it's necessary. You know, that de- that depth of girth um, if you want to look at heart and lung capacity, all of that, um, I think that's really, really important and good form. And by good form, it's not just the strength and the, the, the muscle mass of the form. It's the length of forearm, you know, the, um, and, and proportionally that, that length of form. And I think good horses that have deep girth need even a longer form sort of to balance that, you know, that maybe sounds odd, but if you have a horse that has a really um, deep middle and then they don't have a long form, they get a bit dumpy and heavy in front where they, from a physics point of view, they they need that leverage. So, so those are two things. If I look back, you know, there might be, the horse might've been this or that, that, you know, maybe I didn't, you know, did or didn't like, but whether it was a horse that made my final or didn't make my final, if it be if it becomes a high level horse, almost always somewhere on the page, I'll have good, good girth and good form. So those are two really, really important things. The, the other, the other important thing I think is movement, you know, fluidity of movement. They don't all move the same. Um, a sprinter will move differently than a stayer. A sprinter is a, a faster tempo, peppier walk, but it, there's still a, there's still a fluidity to it where, uh, you know, a longer, longer distance scopier stare, they'll have more of a sweepy, long, flowy walk. Um, but in both cases, there's a lack of, of jar or deviation. There's a rhythm, there's a timing, there's an ease, there's a balance, you know, that they, they just, they, they move well. Um, those are probably, you know, some of the most important things to me that even with faults, if they move well with a fault, I can forgive it. Um, things I, I struggle to forgive. I'm really not a fan of long self-pasterns. I, I have a very hard time getting around, around that one. Um, and sometimes people are like, oh, well, they don't break down in them and this and that, but it isn't just about injury. You know, it's, it's about performance, you know, and, and, you know, I feel like if, if you're kind of giving them... Uh, like a, in in a sense, a hill to get up out of every stride. Are they going to be as efficient? You know, like I, I like I want a tight trampoline that's going to spring me and propel me forward, not something that's going to bottom out. You know, so so long long patterns. Just as I said, you know, from a performance point of view, I just think mm, I, I don't see that work a lot. Um, you know, and, and the heavier the horse, the worse, but that, that's something I struggle to forgive. Um, 
And then also that, you know, the other, other thing, anything that's too, there's too much vibration, you know, a vibration in a joint, I think um, those horses don't hold up, whether it's a vibration in a hawk or what, whatever, any sort of jar or vibration or snappiness in, in their action, um, I, I think isn't, um, you know, isn't conducive to soundness or, or performance. Um, and the, the other thing is like any sort of lateral deviation. So if you have a horse that, that when that assessment part of walking towards or away, if they're, if they're pushing out on a knee or pushing out on a hawk, um, that's like, to me, it's like energy leaking sideways rather than propelling forward, you know? So, so, you know, I, I just look at like, I want everything to be directed at, at that forward momentum, that forward action. And if, if there's pressure going laterally, well, one, you know, it could be, you know, it could, could put more wear and tear on the body. Um, and two, I just don't think they perform as well. Hmm. That's really interesting. You've explained that so well. <laughs> it's, it's I'm terrible when I'm at the, at the airport assessing people. I'm like, oh my God, you know, it goes oh out really God. badly. I, I'm never going to walk, I'm never walking towards you ever. I have it's a problem. It's really a problem. <laughs> One of my um, bosses once said to me, Catherine, he said, if you were a broodmare, I wouldn't breed for oh, you. Oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, your legs, your confirmation is shocking. I was like, gee, thanks. So tell me what you really think, right? <laughs> gee, that's a rough. <laughs> Don't look back. <laughs> So, oh dear yeah, not an athlete. <laughs> oh dear <laughs> so moving along um in previous epi- episodes we've done about the sales we've spoken a little bit about yearling x-rays and scopes and i was just wondering your opinion how do these two things influence your decision making about whether or not to bid on a horse yeah it, it's a funny one because it's like i love science i absolutely love science um so like i'm, I'm a bit of a science nut um, and I can get right into the nitty gritty of it. And, you know, I, I enjoy that. Um, having said that, you know, because I work across a variety of clients who, who you know, often use their, you know, a variety of event of their choice, you know, I know that, that different people have different opinions, right? You know, different vets have different opinions, just like different bloodstock agents or trainers or, you know, I- anyone have, have different opinions. Um so, you know, it's a matter of, of having someone that you trust and that you believe in and, and running, you know, running with their judgment, I suppose. Um, but there, there can be variations in that, you know. And, and you know, I think if it, when it comes to resale, I think that the scope and x-rays are really important when you're looking to trade to protect yourself. Now, does that mean that, you know, something can't happen, you know, in the interim, you know, as between purchase and sale or resale, you know, that's life. Anything can happen, but you definitely want to limit your risk and your client's risk as much as possible. So I think, you know, in those cases where you're trading, your, your scopes and your extras are, are, are very important. You know, as far as racing, like, you know, it, it, it's, it's a, it's a moment in time that you're capturing and it's a moment in time where they're young athletes that are, are, are growing and, you know, there's going to be a lot of changes just because of the nature of being a young horse. Um, so I, I think you have to balance what what your your vet assessment is with the movement of that animal and what your intentions are for it. You know, if, if it has three-year-old knees that are going to need some time, that doesn't need to be a problem as long as you aren't going to try and make it a two-year-old. 
you know, so, you know, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's having that awareness and then managing the horse to the best interest of the animal. So that's like another ingredient to the recipe, I guess, as you would say. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, I, I think, you know, I, I think it's Im- important to have that information. I think it's also important to, to realize different people have different opinions, you know, and, and too with scopes, you know, like people, people can get, you know, very wary of scopes. And I understand breathing is super important for an athlete, you know, but yeah, some of the science, like if you look, you go, you know, people get scared of a, you know, say a a 2B scope. They think, oh, 2B on the way to three is kind of a a saying that we hear with clients, Um, you know, and that's getting a little bit more technical. But, uh, you know, scientifically speaking, the science says that the threes don't go in the wind more often than you know, your lesser grade horses. So, you know, some of it's perception as well. And you're always doing your best to protect your client. But the, the, the thing is, is that, you know, the worst affliction they can have is, is to be slow. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so I can do that part to prevent that, then uh, the best I can. Um, you, you know, you don't, you don't want to rule out an athlete, you know, for something that's a moment in time that can be resolved or, may, or you know, or, or just with a bit of time and you know go this doesn't have to be you know a big big deal if there's a major problem then for sure you know like there's a point that you need to go i can't can't love it i mean there are times that there are horses i absolutely love and they move well and you know we've had we had a few years ago we had a few horses that are two two of our best colts um that didn't scope well and and we had to walk away you know because of for, for clients you just couldn't spend a client client's money and they've both gone on and performed so you know still you know would i would i um would I go and, and spend the client's money on that horse? No, I want to, you know, I want to be safe and protect my client, but you for sure, you for sure keep an eye on them. And, um, you know, it, it isn't always the beyond end all. So you have to stay open. Catherine, the bloodstock industry within racing can be, you know, quite a male dominated space. What advice would you give to any other woman looking to break into this area? Like what, what advice could you offer them? Yeah. Like, you know, I think, I think it's getting easier. You know, I think there's some great women around doing some amazing things. Be relentless, you know, do your work, you know, focus and just keep turning up. You know, like, uh, you know, I think if you're, if you're just there and you're there and you're there and you're consistent and uh, like, uh, you know, like it was when, when I was competing with horses years ago, you know, they, there's things that are subjective, right? You know, they go, oh, but the judges and you're not known and there's this and that. You can't keep turning up and getting results time after time after time and then have it, eventually it will be recognized, you know? And, and, and you know, I think a lot of it is, is about attitude and positivity. Just be genuine and, and do your best and, you know, smile and say hi and be polite and, 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 you know, and I, and I don't mean be polite as in like, you know, you got to be a good girl or be nice or anything like that. But just, you know, like, I don't think there has to be an edge either. You know, just, just be genuine, be who you are and, and, and really do the work, you know, um, learn as much as you can, ask questions um, and, and just, just keep turning up with a, with a good attitude. Yeah. More specifically, what do you mean by do the work? Like what sort of kind of work should we be doing? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I, I think there are many, 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 many aspects of, of the sales industry, you know, and, and getting experience in different facets of those 
is valuable, you know, and, and, and I always look at, go, okay, you know, it's no different than trying to program a horse. You know, if you go, this is where I want to go and this is where I am, then you, you work backwards from there and you go, okay, well, what are the holes in my knowledge? Mm. You know, you know, are the holes in my knowledge, the fact that, you know, I, I need to learn more about confirmation and about movement and about structure and about what, what does, does and doesn't work and why. And then, and then, okay, well, if that's the case, then who do I need to talk to? Do I need to spend time with, you know, with a vet? Do I need to spend time with another agent? Um, do I need to spend time with someone who does full assessment with limb deviations and, you know, to, 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 to make things more obvious? Like I always say, like if someone comes and shadows me, um, it's always easier at, at, at maybe a less premier sale because the, 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 the confirmation faults are a little bit more obvious. Um, just to train your eye. But now, I mean, there, there are even, you know, even if you can't, don't have the time or ability to, to go to a sale and shadow someone like there, there are so many videos online, you know, on equine line or something like that, that you can, you know, download a catalog and assess those horses on video, take your notes, train your eye, you know, and, and then, then ask someone, you know, well, what did you think about this? Or follow and see what those horses do or what they've done. You know, there's so, so much capacity now to be able to, um, as I said, do the work, but, it, you know, look at horses, you know, view horses, assess horses, you know, and train your eye, uh, you know, and then also, as I said, you know, it's, it's as far as looking at your weak links, you know, is that, is that networking? Is that getting to know people in the industry? Is that, building a client base, you know, whatever that is, you know, of, of going, this is where I want to go. This is where I am. And what are my gaps that I need to fill? And, and how can I go about doing that? Thank you so much for that answer. That was so good. That was practical advice. I love it. That's great. It's like, it's like our own recipe, right? Like the horse's <laughs> recipe and then it's like yes, the person's recipe. Our recipe. Our well, you, recipe. You, yeah. you know, you never, you never stop learning, you know, and, and, and I, you know, and like if we did, like how boring would that be? You know, like, you, 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 you know, you never, and that's one thing about the industry is, you, you know, you're always learning. You meet some fantastic people that you probably wouldn't come across really in any other, in, you know, in any other business. Um, you know, it's hugely rewarding and, and, you know, it's a lot of time on the road. Um, you know, you have to be prepared for that if, you know, if you're, if you're going to do it. Um, but if you can, if you can deal with that, I think it's, you know, it's, I love it. Absolutely love it. I think, I think we can all hear from the way that you've been speaking that your drive to keep learning and to keep bettering yourself and to keep chasing the, those rewards, as you mentioned, it's so obvious how passionate you are. And it's honestly inspiring. Like I want to go out and learn and I want to go find my gaps in my knowledge. The Easter sale, of course, starts in just under two weeks. So we'll be applying everything we've learned um, when we're looking at horses on the grounds out at Inglis Riverside for the Easter sale. Thank you so much, Catherine. You have been an amazing expert on this topic and I really feel like a lot of people have learned a great deal all thanks to you no that's awesome thank you for having me it was a pleasure Grace Catherine Brueggemann has to be one of the best guests we've had on this podcast that was absolutely fascinating and I loved how she broke everything down in such simple terms for us yeah it made it so easy to understand didn't it Fee and honestly I 
feel like I am in a much better place now to go out for the upcoming English Easter sale and actually apply some of the things that she mentioned, you know, that recipe analogy that she kept talking about. It's all about finding your own recipe. And one of the other main things that I took out of it, which is key for that recipe, is to go back and check notes that you've made. And, you know, you can apply it with form analysis as well. It's so important when we're learning every day to not just do something and then forget about it. Like when you've actually got the evidence of how something unfolded, it's so important to be able to go back and see whether you were right or wrong in your analysis initially. And if you were wrong, work out why to try and improve you next time. And also the bit about what bits you're always right about. Do you know what I mean? Like when she spoke Mm. about the forearm and the depth of girth, like they're two things she likes and and every horse whether she buys it or not and so like there's these little signposts of what actually uh, is working consistently which again we can apply to our form so next weekend grace we take a break again from our yearly series because it is champions weekend the first of the champions weekends up at randwick so there's a lot of Great racing to cover. Grace, what will we be looking at at next week's episode? What racing's on? So the championships up in Sydney is like Melbourne's spring racing carnival at Flemington, Melbourne Cup Week. So this is the big time for the Sydney Autumn Racing Carnival. It is eight Group 1s across two Saturdays, both at Randwick. Next Saturday, so the 1st of April, is the start of the championships, and we've got four Group 1s on that day. The TJ Smith Stakes for the sprinters, the Australian Derby for the three-year-olds out to 2,400 metres. We've got the Doncaster Mile, which is a 1,600-metre handicap that has got so much prestige and tradition behind it. And then the other one is the size produce for the two-year-olds, and likely we'll see Shinzo awfully hard to beat after winning the Golden Slipper stepping out to the 1400 meters now so uh, we have to get into that meeting from a form perspective and we encourage everybody to um, come along on that journey with us because it is an outstanding day of racing yeah really looking forward to that one but for now it is time to sign off and we will catch you all next week Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 